The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Amen. If you would take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. I don't consider myself a redneck. Do you consider yourself one? (laughs) I told you, nobody answered that. Uh, But somebody's talking about our last weekend uh, was our anniversary, and I think I told you all that Sunday. I'm sure I did. I didn't realize Jeremy and Lindsay was married just the day before we were. They were March the 8th was theirs, March the 9th was theirs. So what did y'all do? And I said, I cooked some pork butt and sow's belly. <laughs> y'all know what that is, don't you? How many knows what sow's belly is? Oh, my goodness. Just one of you? Do y'all like it? Barry does. Guys, y'all are rednecks, too. That's bacon. That's where bacon comes from. So now you like it, don't you? Uh, so we took that, and uh, of course, uh, pulled pork comes from pork butt or ham, whatever you want to call it, or shoulder, wherever it comes from. And you smoke it and pull it apart, and the sow's belly. I don't know what else it's called, to be honest. Does anybody know what the proper name is? This is your your time to speak back. Bacon. <laughs> Uh, so we smoked that, and we had uh, an intimate meal with all of our family, pretty much. Our kids all came. So this morning, we're going to talk about an intimate meal, and maybe when you think of an intimate meal, you think about you and your spouse, or maybe you and your spouse and your family, you and just your closest friends, but we're going to talk about an intimate meal for a multitude, And we've been talking about Christ, and we've been talking about um, the meals that we see, uh, and guess who's coming to dinner, and we've looked already at uh, several different uh, areas where Christ came to dinner. He was invited to dinner, and to the shock and maybe dismay of some of the dinner guests of guess who showed showed up at our dinner party. Not only Christ, but we've had tax collectors show up at the dinner party and a woman that had great sin last week, we talked about showing up at the dinner party. Uh, This morning is a little bit different, but it is an intimate meal. Uh, The interesting thing about pork butt and sow's belly is that when we got through eating, uh, even Haley liked it, I think, uh, and she loves my cooking. If y'all didn't know that, you can should tell you all about it. But uh, uh, at the end of that, we had so much left over that we sent a bag home with uh, with J- Jacob and a bag home with John. If y'all didn't know, John he he doesn't live here anymore. Say somebody say amen. Uh, he's gainfully employed, uh, and he lives in Anna now, and he comes home on the weekends. So. Uh, or he comes here and visits. Do you come home on the weekend or do you come visit on the weekends? He comes home on the weekends, okay. Uh, so we sent some home with, or we sent some to where John lives. We had a friend of ours come over, that's uh, Alan's son, and we sent some home with him. And uh, I took a bag in my lunch. We had a lot left over, a whole lot left over. And uh, it was good leftovers. Uh, but it was started out just a little intimate meal. 
And uh, in Luke chapter 9, we kind of see that setting. We see a, a group of folks who come and they uh, kind of come to a picnic. Uh, ours was not a picnic, but uh, that's what we see in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be down in verse 10. You've probably already uh, figured out what this, uh, this meal is about. <clears throat> Your heading there probably says Jesus feeds 5,000, something along those lines. And really, that's 5,000 men, so there was women and children there. So there's a huge crowd at this intimate meal. But I want to ask you, as we get started, uh, to think about the last time you found yourself standing at a dead end. And I'm talking about in life. Maybe you were wondering how you got there and where was God? You're in a situation, and uh, you're standing maybe on the edge of possibility, and you're looking at this... Uh, this vast area in front of you, you're really not sure which way to go, which way to turn. You may feel inferior or incompetent for the task ahead of you, and you're, you're just kind of looking, and you, you wish you had more to offer. Maybe you, you said, if I only uh, could do this, if I only had this, if I had these resources or these means, if I had this knowledge or if I had this ability, and uh, if I could do these things... Uh, then, boy, just imagine where I could be as you're kind of standing at this dead end. And uh, this morning, I was thinking about a good, a good restaurant in the, the, the House of Fish. Do you think that'd be a good restaurant? It doesn't sound good, does it? Well, Jesus takes his disciples to the House of Fish. Do you know that's biblical? It's right here in, in Luke chapter 9. So maybe the disciples felt that way as they headed to the house of fish for their intimate dinner with Christ. Uh, they began to think about all that could be, and they're going over to the, uh, to the east of the Sea of Galilee is where they're headed, and they're headed to the house of fish. Look in, verse, in chapter 9, verse 10, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all that they had done. Now we'll talk about what they had done in just a minute. Uh, and then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethesda. Now, the town Bethesda means what? House of fish. Come on, I gave you a clue. <laughs> They're going to the house of fish. Now, I think that's interesting because uh, this is where Jesus has the fish and the loaves. The Bethesda is an area there, so don't think about, we think about the pool of Bethesda sometimes because that's in Scripture, but that's just a pool that's there at Bethesda. Bethesda is this area east of the Sea of Galilee, so this area, the house of fish. So Jesus calls the disciples there with him. They head to this town, which in uh, the Galilean dialect, uh, it's called Bethesda. It's the house of fish. But the crowds learned about this, and they followed him. And he welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. And late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, said, came to him and said Lord, send the crowds away uh, so they can go to the surrounding villages and the countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And he replied, Christ replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy some food uh, for this whole crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. 
The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, and then taking the five loaves and two fishes and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples, and he set them for the people, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Leading up to this trip to the House of Fish, or Bethesda, I'm going to refer to it as the House of Fish this morning, uh, it was pronounced to the, uh, or it was talked about that, that this trip would be a, uh, it was a great trip. Uh, it was a, we're, we're heading into spring break for most of you this week, I think. Maybe some groups had spring break last week, but uh, sometimes when we get ready for spring break, uh, are you exhausted? I mean, you're ready for a break. It's been busy. It's been a good year. Things have been going well, but man, it's just a time for a break. And maybe there was some, some, some triumphal times during that, that first half or the first part of the year, but, uh, but it's time for a break. There may have been some painful things. There may have been some, some great things. So uh, what has happened is the disciples were sent out in, verse, in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And you can read that first, uh, those first nine verses while I'm talking if you'd like to. But, but Jesus sends them out. He sends out the 12, and he says, I want you to go, and I'm, I'm giving you the power to... Uh, act as an authority of, of God, and you're going to teach, and you're going to heal, and you're going you're to proclaim my name. So during that time, uh, he, they, they, had some, they had some powerful times. They had some great times during that. There was, a, there was victories won. There were people healed. There was, there was some triumph, but it was also a painful time. And, and the reason that it was painful is, is because something happened during this time. And that's what we're going to talk about in just a minute. So as we start to be put this together, uh, I want us to think about providing for needs at the house of fish. I want us to think about uh, kind of what, what, what's happening here. If you go over to, to verse 3 in chapter 9, I think this is kind of a key to our passage. Jesus sends out the disciples... And this is what he told them. He said, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and no extra tunic. In other words, he sent his disciples out. He said, don't take anything special. I just want you to go. And in verse 4 says, and whenever you enter a house, stay there till you leave that town. So they're going to provide for your needs. God says, I'm going to provide for your needs. I'm going to send you to these houses. If you go somewhere and they don't welcome you, he said, shake the dust off your feet, leave the town uh, as a testimony against them. So, so Christ sends them out. And that's kind of when we start out this verse, when they returned. So where we started in verse 10, that's what they're returning from. God has sent them, Christ has sent them out, and, and as he has sent them out, they're returning from that. And, and our first thing I want to think about is faith can feed us. And I want to think about the compassion that Christ showed during this story and then what we're reading about this morning. And I want you to think about being sent out. When we go on a trip, I don't know if y'all do this or not, but when we go on a long trip, do y'all buy snacks to ride in the car? You know, just in case, Denise, uh, I've told y'all, she, and I've told you ladies this, if, if you're thirsty, say, I'm thirsty, let's stop. Don't say, are you thirsty? Because if we're not thirsty, we're not going to pick the vibe up. You know, we're just going to say, no, I'm good. Well, 
Are you hungry? No, I'm good. Well, men, that means what? They're hungry and thirsty. Stop. Is that right, ladies? For the most part? So we've learned, Denise has learned to buy snacks and drinks, and we carry coolers and we carry snacks because we want to be prepared for the trip in case somebody don't want to stop. Matter of fact, if you empty a pretty good-sized Gatorade, it makes a great bathroom, doesn't it? Amen? Uh, so even the boys learn to hold it because I say, go in the Gatorade bottle. I'm not going to do that. I say, why not? Go in the Gatorade bottle and we can keep traveling. So, so we made preparations for the trip. But here we see Jesus. He says, I want you to go, but I don't want you to make any preparations. Don't buy the snacks. Don't pack the cooler. Don't put the bag in the back floorboard in case you get hungry. I'm simply wanted to, I'm going to send you now. I want us to think about what the disciples must have thought. What must they have felt? Reckon Thomas was really doubtful at this point. I mean, no doubting Thomas saying, why in the world would he be sending us out? Maybe Peter was overconfident. You know, Peter was, was always a little bit overconfident in himself. Maybe, maybe Judas, he found trouble relinquishing the purse uh, to Christ. You know, he was the keeper of the money. Judas was. And maybe, maybe he found that a little bit difficult. Hey, I'm, I carry the money. I, I need to carry this with me just in case we have a need. And, and was God really going to take care of all their needs? But the disciples, they're returning. They're feeling triumphant. They're all happy. And, and uh, as they return, they find out there's news of tragedy. And the tragedy was the cousin of Jesus... John the baptizer, John the Baptist, he had been locked up in Herod's prison. Herod threw a big old party, and in his party, a bunch of drunk guests was there. And as a favor to one of his drunk guests, he said, hey, let's behead John the Baptist. Let's, just, let's, go, and, let's go and cut his head off. So that's what they did. Herod said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow you to do that. So think about this group. They've, they've come together. They've had, a, they had a triumphal time. They had victories. They had successes. They were really tired. It had been a rough time. They wanted some rest. And on top of all that, Christ gives them the news about John the Baptist. He says, hey, let me tell you what happened. So, so he suggests a little retreat, a little spring break. You know, hey, let's, let's get together. Let's, let's sail over to the, to the house of fish and, and let's get away in the wilderness just a little while and just kind of us, just spend some time together in the quietness. Now, I want to put some, we have a, quite a few teachers here and some retired teachers and school administrators. I want you to just imagine getting a call uh, tonight about midnight saying, hey, we've messed up. School don't get out next week. You've got Monday morning. We got, we've got to be there. Are you going to be, do, you're quitting? <laughs> uh, have you, have you got to be a little bit downhearted? I mean, you know, if, if Mr. Marshall has to call all your teachers tonight and say, look, guys, y'all got to come to school tomorrow. <laughs> What kind of response would you get? We won't even answer that in church, but, but imagine what it must have felt like. Now, you, you may say, I don't understand where you're going with this. You're talking about a retreat, and then you're talking about them not having a retreat. What are you talking about? Well, that's what we're going to look at. They, they, Christ says, hey, let's get away. 
there's just a little short journey across the, the sea here, and we're going to go over to the, to the house of fish, and we're going to get out in the wilderness, and we're going to spend some time there, and we're going to, going to, we're going to relax. And, and just get this picture in your mind. There they crawl into this big boat, and as they're in the boat, just the, the, the breeze blowing, and, and it's a beautiful day, and the sun shining, and, and there's a, the, the Zebedee brothers. They're there, and they're operating the boat, and Peter and Andrew, they're steering the boat and all of these things are happening as they rest, as they relax. They're, they're selling across and there's some anticipation of, hey, we, we have some much-needed time. We just need to regather ourselves. We need to think about the events that's taking place with John the Baptist. We need to think about the, the victories that we've had and, and just spend some time with the Lord. It's just going to be a great time. It's just going to be a time that we can just get away but as they became apparent, as they became closer to the shore, it became apparent over there that, that something's going on on the shore. And, and as they begin to look, they realize there's, there's people and there's a crowd of people. And, and they're, they're showing up on the shore. And, and as this crowd of people began to show up, maybe there were some red-faced guys that were sweating because they had ran all the way around this lake to get around where Christ was coming. They, they had brought people and people from the towns and the villages. They had got word, hey, Christ is coming and he's going to be over here at the house of fish and let's go down there and meet him. And the disciples are there, and, and I think they must have just looked and said, oh, what's going on here? I was looking so f- much uh, forward towards some rest. I was just looking for this time that, that we're going to get away. And, and think about Andrew and Peter and, and some of that group there, how they must have looked and said, what, Lord, look at these people. I mean, they're everywhere. There's people that are crippled. There's people that are having to drag themselves. There's people helping other people. There's, there's those pushing and trying to get in front of the line. And, and Lord, I thought we were just going to get away, just us. I, I just imagine that must have been taking place as they neared that shore, what they must have been thinking about. And, and what did John think about the crowds as he looked? And, and what was the attitude of James as he expected all of this rest? But, but I want to notice what Jesus did. Jesus looked at the, at the gathering crowd. He looked at that group there, and, and there must have been a unique look came over his face. And as he looked at them, he had a love that was deeper than the disciples would have expected. Because when he looked, he didn't see all of those people gathered. He saw folks that had hearts that were broken. He saw folks that that had all kinds of pain. They were weighted bound by all kinds of struggles. They had all kinds of needs as they were going towards that shore. And, And the disciples, as they looked at the group and as they thought about what they were missing out, Jesus looked and he was moved to the point of yearning. He was moved to the point of yearning to help those people. Now, I want us to put ourselves in a couple of different situations here. I want us first to think about if we're one of those people and we look at the Savior and, and we see the compassion and the love that he has and we see that yearning within him to, to reach out and help us, don't you know that, that their whole countenance changed? As they got a glimpse of the Savior, don't you know that something changed about them? But I want us to also put ourselves on the other side of the coin to, to, to think about this, what the disciples must have looked at and said, oh, great. What's this guy want? What's this person coming over here for me for? What, what, why are you stopping me? 
I've got other plans today. So I want us to try to, try to find ourselves somewhere in that picture that we see, that, that group of people hurting or that, that group of, of disciples that are looking and, and thinking about their own needs. Look at verse 12, if you would. And, and I want to ask you, does anything jump out late in the afternoon? This is chapter 9, Luke. The twelve came to him, Christ, and said, Send the crowds away. Tell them to leave. Go to the countryside. Go to the village. Find food. Find lodging. Because we're in a remote place. Now, does anything jump out at you about that passage of Scripture? I want you to just think about that. And you don't have to answer this, but what did the disciples do? As the disciples looked at that crowd, they began to think about their personal needs, didn't they? They didn't see the crowd. They saw an inconvenience. They didn't see the crowd. They thought about their own needs. But as Christ looked, the Savior of the world, the friend of sinners, He looked at those who said, these are sheep without a shepherd. He looked and he, he saw compassion upon them. He, he looked and, and he, he said, well, I see a group of people that has a need. You know, that, that's one of them things where we say, if you if can't say amen, say ouch. Because when I read that, I had to say ouch. Because I'm kind of where the disciples are. I'm kind of where, hey, I've got to look out for my own needs. I, I kind of got to look out for my own interest here. But to realize what Christ did, he, he looked at them. He, he saw the condition they were in. He, he knew that he could bring healing. He knew that he could bring teaching. And, and those kind of came together. Now think about why did these people come? They're in a wilderness the Bible says that, that they were in a remote place. They came because they needed something from the Savior. They needed something, and, and Jesus could bring that. But it's interesting to me, as we're thinking about, as we're thinking about meals, I think Jesus' attitude sometimes tells us that the most effective path to a person's soul may be through his stomach. It really may be, because that's where Christ met them. How often do the evangelical churches recognize the aspect of, of the ministry of Jesus and how he practiced in the early church? What did Christ nearly always do as he was ministering? He met a physical need, didn't he? Whatever it might have been, if it was hunger, if it was sickness, if it was what, whatever it may be, Christ met a physical need first. And as he met a physical need, then he began to address the spiritual needs. And folks, as a church, I think we need to recognize that when we want to have an, an intimate meal, it needs to be an intimate meal for the multitudes. It needs to be the, the group that we come together and realize that Christ, as he, as he met people, he met those physical needs. And because of that, what did they do? They, they flocked to Christ. Because they knew in Christ they could find healing, they could find that peace. So, so Jesus' actions, his attitudes, I think, is something we need, to, we need to recognize. Why do we collect food for the local food bank? Hopefully you know we do that. There's, there's a box in the foyer out here, and it's out there every week. And, and the, the Hope House has said, hey, churches, we need sugar and we need oil from you. We, we have pretty much everything else we need, but, but we need to. Why do we do those things? Because, because the preacher says, hey, there's a box out there, let's put some oil in there and let's put some sugar in there and uh, maybe we want to just be good old people. Maybe, maybe we want to say, well, it, it's, it's because there's a, the whole house asked for it, so we're doing it. But, but what we're being, we're being Christ 
to those in need. We're saying, hey, there's, there's a group of people that they have physical needs. Sometimes we, we can be cynical about it and we can say, well, do they really have needs? Well, probably all of them don't, but, but you know what? Let God deal with that. Because as Christ looked, I bet there were some people that gathered on that shore that, that probably weren't in the situation that some other groups were. But you know what? Christ had compassion on all of those as sheep without a shepherd. We have opportunities to give. We have opportunities to, to have clothing and buy food and, and prepare clothes for folks. We, we do that through our student ministries. Why? That's the way we can be Christ to others in this world today, an opportunity that we have. So, so faith can feed us spiritually. And when we're fed spiritually, we begin to show compassion as Christ showed compassion. Here's the second thing. We've got to move quickly this morning. We've got about 10 minutes. Faith can test us. You know, Jesus questioned his disciples. That situation they were put in, it seemed like a dead-end road. They looked at their needs. They looked at the crowds. They looked at the sea. And they said, we're at a dead-end road. I want you to think about how many times in Scripture we find God putting people at dead-end roads. Remember Abraham? Remember Abraham that, that was promised that, that he would have a son. And for all of those years, it never came. He never came. He never came. Finally, God blessed him with a son. And as God blessed him with a son, God tested Abraham's faith, didn't he? He said, I want you to take your son Isaac. I want you to carry him up and I want you to sacrifice your son. And if we go and read that story, we see that Abraham's there. He, he bound his son. They gathered the wood. They built the altar. He bound his son. He laid him on the altar. He was at a, he was at a dead end, wasn't he? He was at a crossroads. He was, he was saying, okay, God, I'm going to sacrifice my son. And God prepared a lamb and said, stop, Abraham. I've, I've made a preparation. I've, I've given you a lamb. But Abraham stood at those crossroads. Faith can test us. Think about Moses. Moses, he, he was led to dead end after dead end. But think about that Red Sea. As God delivers his people, and as Moses stood at the Red Sea, and, and in front of him there's a, a body of water, and behind him there's a group of people coming that's going to take their lives. And he stood at a dead end, doesn't he? If we read the Bible, it, it talks about how he took that step of faith and how God opened that sea and they crossed on dry ground. He stood at that at crossroads, and he realized that in front of him, God had a faith that, that God was testing his faith, and God had placed that before him. Think about Joshua. God said, Joshua, I have a promised land for you. I want you to go in. It's yours. It's delivered to you. And Joshua came to Jericho, and what did Jericho have? It had those fortified walls in the city. And Joshua stood at a crossroads. He stood at a dead end. And he said, okay, God, this, this is a fortified city. And, and God said, well, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march seven times around the wall in the seventh day. I want you to go seven times. And you're going to blow these trumpets. And you're going to break his glasses. And the walls are going to fall. And Joshua stood at that dead end. And he, he followed through. And God said, you know what? My faith is going to test you. Your faith is going to test you, and I'm going to test you in your faith. So here's the disciples. That, 
that Bethesda sun was blood red and going down. Y'all heard that song, you know, that's where that came from. And, and as the sun is going down, it's time to go home. It's getting dark, the shadows are getting longer, and, and Jesus looks at the disciples and says, what are you going to do? Can you imagine 5,000 men? <laughs> Lord, you need to let these people go. Get them out of here, send them on. And Jesus said, you feed them. Well, what would we do? Put our hands in our pockets and, you know, I've... what are you going to do, disciples? You're standing at a dead end. You're standing at a crossroad. What, what are you going to do? I think sometimes when we get to that crossroad and, and Christ says, what are we going to do? Where are you going to go from here? Because I want to test your faith. We may put our hands in our pockets and start kicking rocks and, and we may make some comment like Philip did about, about man, can you imagine what it's going to cost to feed all these people? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be two-thirds of a year's wages if we go try to buy food, not to mention there's no one to buy food for. There's no place to buy food anyway. I mean, just think about all the thoughts that must have been there. I, I read a story about a, a father. He observed his son, Micah, and, and Micah was trying to move a chair from the dining room to the kitchen so he could watch, uh, watch him cook supper, and he, he managed without problem to a certain point, and then he got to that place where the tile and the floor met together, and he couldn't lift the chair up high enough to continue, and, and he was struggling there, and quickly he, he got frustrated, he got discouraged, and, and he got angry for the chair getting and stuck and, and uh, he began to cry and, and the father said Michael why are you crying he said well I can't move the chair I, it's stuck it won't go any farther and, and his father said have you tried everything and, and Michael said I've tried everything and the father said no you haven't you, you haven't asked me for help you haven't, you haven't come to me and said hey the chair's stuck I'm at a crossroad I'm at a dead end I don't know where to go I don't know what else to do and Micah said, well, can you help with the chair? And sure enough, the dad was quick to lift the chair and move it to where it needed to be. And folks, sometimes God's testing us in our faith. And when we get to that crossroad, instead of kicking rocks with our hands in our pockets, we need to just come to the Father and say, I don't know what to do. I've come as far as I can. I've done all I can do. And, and God says when we do that... At that point, our faith is filled and our faith is fed and our faith is tested and, and we begin to move on. Here's the last thing. Faith can make little much. Think about this young man. He's got five little loaves of bread and two fishes. Now, if we read this, I want you to think about a couple of things. Number one is it took somebody making a sacrifice for this miracle to happen, didn't it? Somebody had to give a sack. Somebody, somebody had to give something. This young man, he was the only person there that deserved to go home with a full stomach, wasn't he? He's the only one that deserved it. He's the only one that made preparations. He's the only one that went ahead. But you know what? Remember what Christ told his disciples? What did they miss? He said, hey, don't take anything. Why? Because I'm going to provide for you. At that right time, I'm going to provide for you. And there was a sacrifice made. And, and this young man was, little to, was, was willing to give a little to what God would take. Now, I think there's some keys in that right there. He was, he was willing to give a little because the Lord had need of it. The second thing I want to think about is, is as we summarize this up, 
the the amount given was of no was was no uh, was of no real bearing, was it? I mean, the the amount given it it wasn't much to offer. It, it doesn't seem like it has a great deal of significance. But listen, it was all he had to offer. I want us to think about that spiritually. You know, when we give God all we have to offer, he can take what we have to offer and, and he can make a little a lot. There's an old gospel song. Some of you have probably heard it. The chorus says this, Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame, but there's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. The, the line that stands out is this, little is much when God is in it. Sometimes we may even feel embarrassed. I, I just don't have hardly anything to offer the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about time and, and uh, availability. I'm talking about our freedom. I, I'm talking about whatever we have that we can say, God, I don't have much to offer you, but, but here I want to offer you what I have. God took that gift, that little gift, Listen to this. This is great, folks. He broke it, and he blessed it. I think we could spend a, a whole other 30-minute message right there, that God took that thing, and, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and it became much. You know, sometimes when we're broken, when we're broken into pieces, we, we think, well, God, you can't use me anymore. I've, I've made these errors in my... I'm a broken person. But the Bible says he took what was offered and, and he broke it into pieces and then he blessed it and it became more than enough to fill the needs of those around. Think about that. It, it became more than enough. A little gift that was broken for God, that was blessed for God, became more than enough to fulfill God's purpose. Let's bow together this morning, and I want us to think about those, those truths that we see today that, you know, in our faith, as we gather and we think about the meal and, and we think about God's faith that can feed us, His compassion, and that compassion fills us as we gather around His table. Spiritually, we can be fed and we can be filled. Faith tests us. The reason faith tests us is when we pass that test of faith, we gain even more faith. It teaches us his faith. And in faith can make little much. Faith can make a little much. Little is much when God is in it. So whatever we have to offer today, God will take that, even if it's broken pieces, and with God's blessings, with God's hands, he can meet the needs of more than we could ever imagine. Do you think that little man thought that those little two fish and five loaves of bread would feed over 5,000? No. But it became more than enough when the sacrifice was made. Father, I pray this morning... As we think about that meal that you gather around in the wilderness and you direct your disciples to, to go and feed, and Father, you fulfilled your promise that, that you're a provide. And Father, there's the little that we have to offer, Lord, if we'll simply surrender to you, 
we'll sacrifice to you whatever we have. If we have just a little time, if we have just a little talent, if we have just a little freedom, a little ability, uh, just a little willingness, if we'll sacrifice to you that you'll take that and you'll bless it and you'll use it to reach a multitude. Father, I pray today that we would know it begins with our salvation. It begins with believing in you where we take and we come to you as broken and you take us and you give us forgiveness and you make us whole again in the sight of God the Father through the blood of Jesus. And then, Father, beyond that, you use us every day to the point that we'll allow you to, Father. I pray that you would test our faith as a church. I pray that we would learn from you. I pray that you would feed us as we gather on Sundays and we gather around your table. We take the bread of life, your word, and, and you feed us, Lord. I pray that we'd be filled and we'd be filled with your compassion. And then, Father, I pray that we would experience what you can do when we reach out in faith. Lord, I pray as we have opportunities, if we have opportunities to, to meet the needs of those around us, Lord, that, that we would think about those physical needs. We'd be about meeting those physical needs as you met them. And then, Father, beyond that, those spiritual needs that would open the door that we might bring healing, joy, and hope and light to those in a darkened world. Lord, I pray that we'd be sensitive to the movement of your spirit in all that we do, even during this time of invitation. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.